So when we meet Jesus and we declare that He is the Son of God, immediately you become a son or a daughter. Immediately your identity is given to you. That we are loved and that we are grounded and rooted in His love and we know that we're His kids, then all of a sudden we get to understand what we're made for, what our purpose is, which is where inheritance really begins. Intimacy says God chose you and He loves you. Jesus Christ died for you because God loves you that much that He wants relationship with you. You can't perform it. You can't earn it. You have to receive it. Okay, now, here we are walking into this series of the same. How many of you have walked into the front doors and seen that there's something painted on the floor and gone, what does that say? How many of you have noticed there's something written on the floor? Uh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, but what it says, when you guys walk into this church, you walk across three words, and the words are this, intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And this is the foundation of who we are as a church. This is the foundation of who Kate and I are as a, as a couple. And so we do this every year, and it is my joy when we come back around to the beginning of the year because we get to invest again in what we're passionate about and we get to build a foundation that we can all have this as our reality to say living fully alive in Jesus Christ is to walk a lifestyle of intimacy with God, identity in Christ, and our inheritance in the Holy Spirit. Spirit, and that we are people who are pursuing God's presence in intimacy. We are people who are pursuing Jesus in identity, and we are people who are thriving in the overflow of the Holy Spirit, advancing the kingdom. And so this week, we get to talk about intimacy with you. And I want to begin by simply saying that everything that I'm going to talk about to you today is about and is because Jesus Christ. And I'm assuming that I'm speaking in a room of believers and followers of Jesus. If you have not said yes to Jesus Christ to make him the Lord of your life, I would say, please, with all of my heart, I implore you, say yes to his invitation to come and follow me. And he is saying, come, follow me, because everything that you're going to hear today, everything that we're going to talk about in intimacy, in identity, in inheritance, is because of a yes to Jesus. That is our baseline. And if you're here and you haven't said yes to Jesus, I know that you came with somebody. And if you came with somebody, I want you to say to them, hey, you know that, that Ryan was talking about up front about not having said yes to Jesus yet? I want to say yes to Jesus. I know that the person that you came with would love to pray with you and walk you through that. And if you didn't come with somebody, then look at me. See me? Anybody else? Actually, just raise your hand if you would love to pray with somebody that's like, hey, I want to get to know Jesus. Raise your hand. Look around. Okay, so if you came today and you didn't come with somebody and you're like, I want to get to know Jesus, here's people that would love to pray with you and disciple you and partner with you. So this is what we're doing. Our baseline is I'm about to teach the result of a life surrendered and submitted to Jesus Christ. And we get to walk in intimacy. Everybody with me? Okay. Here we go. So intimacy is the baseline for our church. What it means to me is, what it means to us is pursuing and making room for God's presence. It's an awareness of him, and it's how it impacts every moment, every word, every event throughout our day. Intimacy is defined as oneness. It is defined as unity. And the reason that it is a passion of my heart is that for my relationship with Jesus, I have told you guys this story before, 
Some of you have heard this, some of you have not. I want to tell you this story of why intimacy is so valuable to me as a first, as a follower of Jesus, and second, as a leader of a church, is that I came to a place in my life where I was young, I was in my early 20s, I was dating um, a beautiful woman named Kate, um, and, uh, and we broke up, and I entered, after we broke up, I entered into this two-year-long wrestling match with God. And I won't go into all the details of this wrestling match with God, but ultimately what came out of this time was that God was inviting me to allow him to satisfy and fulfill the areas of my heart and my mind and my life that I thought were gonna be fulfilled through Kate or through a woman or through fill in your own blanks, whatever it is. But for me, I thought I found the woman of my dreams. Whenever I had a need to be affirmed, to be recognized, to be invested in, to be whatever it was, I would look to her and go, affirm me, pursue me, meet this, this desire of my heart. And I would look to her. When we broke up, I was left in that place of going, okay, God, now what? And what God said, now what, is all, that, all those things you've been getting your needs met through her. I want to meet you in that place. I want to invite you into a sacred romance. And it was weird for me because I knew God as a father. I knew Jesus as a savior, but I had never led him into that place of actually wooing me and romancing me and meeting every single one of my needs. You see, God is not a God of compartmentalization where he says, I'll meet half of your needs and then I want you to find somebody to meet the other half of your needs. Because if that's the case, then it'll always be drawing from someone else and it'll always be fleeting. But intimacy with God says, there is such a love relationship that I have for you that I want to invite you into this place where you are not looking to anything else to get your needs met. I meet those needs. Now, is he saying, I don't have any needs or I can't have any needs? No, absolutely not. We've talked about this even a few weeks ago. Every need that I have that's first met in Christ can be met in someone else. But every need that I have is not met in Christ, cannot be met anywhere else. So what God was teaching me was about intimacy. I had turned my relationship with God into, an, uh, into a static relationship. I had turned it into this place where I was making a transaction with God. God, if I do this, then you will do this. And a transactional, it's basically that lie of religion that wants to overwhelm everything in our lives and make us about following rules and, and, and this thing of saying, if I push the buttons on the machine, everything's gonna come out and it's gonna be this and if I do that and do this and blah, 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 blah. And I realized that when I had done everything right and the girl of my dreams broke my heart and we were completely disconnected, that I had to come back and meet with God and say, wait, this whole transaction thing isn't working out. There's something else. There's something that needs in me that isn't being met. And he said, ah, that's what I want to meet. And I want to be a God, not of transaction, but I want to be a God of exchange. And in exchange, I want to take everything that you are, and I want to receive it, and I want to give you everything that I am. Transaction means equal. I'll do this, and you give me this. Exchange with Jesus means that he took everything, my brokenness, my shame, my sin, my fear, my worry, my whatever it is, he took all of that, and he exchanged it, and said, in exchange for that, I'm giving you all that I am. And I'm gonna, you're going to watch as I pour my life out on you how all of your needs are Met. And it was such a powerful thing that began to take place in that time in my life. 
So what has happened out of that is that we have desired to build a ministry, build a church, build a community of people who at the core of their lives say, pursuing God and making room for his presence and intimacy with God is the foundation of everything that we are. Otherwise, it's performance and it's earning. What we have is resting in intimacy and invitation of his presence. And I believe, and this is what we believe, the desire that should drive the life of every follower of Jesus isn't to earn God's love and affection as a wage, but to receive it as a gift. We are not performing, we are resting and in and enjoying his presence. Intimacy with him that we can only access because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. Intimacy is an invitation, it is not a demand. So remember this as a biblical overview, a theology of intimacy, if you will. Remember this with me. If we were to pan back and look at the scope of human history as revealed to us in God's word, we would realize that we were created for relationship and for intimacy. When that was broken, God pursued us. And Jesus came to restore us to that place of original design of intimacy in relationship with God. And as we see this dramatic invitation, we see it in Matthew 27, 51, and this is Jesus on the cross. And as Jesus was on the cross, Matthew 27, 51 says this, after Jesus cried out and gave up his spirit, at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So as we're looking at a scope of the theology or the doctrine of intimacy, in those times when Jesus was crucified, the temple was the center of worship. And in that temple were all of the sacrifices and the temple was the access point to meet with God, for God's people to meet with him. And the people were outside and they would be, there was a veil that was between it and they would go in once a year, the priest would go in and he would make atonement sacrifice. He would renew the covenant, a covenant meal, the sacrifice. He would make that sacrifice to renew God, their, their, uh, the, that sacrificial system and that religious agreement that they had with God. And that veil was separating the presence of God from the people. When Jesus died, what happened to that veil? That veil was torn from top to bottom. Such a powerful picture that God was finished with this religious system. He was finished with this old covenant. He was finished with the sacrificial system. Every time you sin, you gotta bring this grain offering and this animal offering and burn this fat and do this thing. God was done because all this was doing was creating religious separation. All God has ever wanted from the very beginning of time was relationship. We were created for relationship. We broke it. He pursued us. We said, no, God, I don't know about you, but we want this system that separates us from you. And he said, I want to be your God. You be my people. No, we're going to send Moses in our, in our place. You, we just want rules. We don't want that intimacy with you. And so they created this whole system that Jesus walked into in that time. And God's presence is cut off from his people by this giant veil. And Jesus died on the cross saying, I want intimacy. I want relationship with you. And that veil was torn from top to bottom. We are no longer separated from God. And God is now moved out into us. In Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. Thank God. So we can now enter the presence of God through Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 
says this, that the faithful enter into the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. It literally is saying that Jesus represented and was the veil. And as that veil, his body, his life was torn, that there is now an invitation to intimacy and connectedness and oneness with him. So if the temple, what happened to the temple? You guys know what happened to the temple. The temple was destroyed completely in 70 AD. There's no more temple. There's no more inner holy of holies. There's no more priesthood. There's none of that stuff. So where does God dwell on earth then? If not in the temple in Jerusalem, where does God dwell on earth? 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Galatians 2, 20, God, may this be the cry of every one of our hearts. May this be the reality of our lives if we claim to follow Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is my heart, is that every single one of us would be able to declare that as the reality of our life. It is not I who live, but I've died in Christ and I've resurrected in Christ. It is Christ who lives in me. That is intimacy. That is the depths that he wants to invite us to in that place of relationship. The dwelling place for God is no longer a temple. It is in us and it is upon us. Jesus lived and he died to reveal the Father and to reveal the presence of God that is available to us. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 is an invitation. I pray that out of the riches, and this is Paul praying, but it's an invitation. I pray that out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell. He may make his home in your hearts through faith. Jesus wants to do something so simple. He just wants to be at home in your life. He wants to say, that's my home. Think about home. It's a place you belong. It's a place that you're safe. It's a place that you feel that you can walk into. That's what Jesus wants. I want to make my home in your heart. I don't want to be living in your, in your mind. I don't want to be living at a church. I don't want to be living at a conference. I don't want to be living with somebody that you think has it all together. I don't want to be living in a temple or a man-made this or that. I want to, I want to live in your heart. I want access to every single area of your heart. And that's what intimacy is about. I had certain sections where I had like, Jesus, this is where you can hang out. All of this is locked up. I'm gonna get these needs met in other ways. But he's like, Ryan, I want that. I wanna be at home in your heart. I want no locked doors. I wanna be able to walk in every area and just bring my light and my health and my restoration to every area of your life. And that's the invitation that Jesus has to be at home in your heart. So here's the practical. What does intimacy look like on a practical level? I can stand up here and talk about it. I can rah, 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 and intimacy this, and intimacy that, and you can be like, woo, we're gonna do intimacy. I don't even know what that looks like. Let me talk to you about practical intimacy. The reality check is this. To the degree that you walk in intimacy with Jesus, you become more like Jesus. So you can't turn intimacy into quiet time. You can't turn it into, I did my journaling, I read my Bible, I listened to my worship this morning, I did my 35 minutes or whatever it is. Those are fine, do those things. But intimacy is a lifestyle, it is a moment by moment thing. The thing that I alluded to earlier is Jesus walking this earth saying, I go away often to be with my father. He wasn't checking a box to say, I did my quiet time this morning. He was actually going to connect with his father so that he could do what he said as he walked out throughout his day. What did it say? Jesus goes, I'm only doing what I see my, my father doing. I'm only saying what I hear my father saying. He wasn't checking a devotional time. He was actually saying, I wanna be so connected with you before anything else that as I walk through my day today, that I am a walking reflection of who my father 
is. I want to do what he's doing. I want to say what he's saying. I want to hear what he's hearing. See what he's seeing. That's intimacy. And so if we make it into, if we relegate it to like, I read my Bible, I checked my things, I did my devos, whatever, that's fine. But this is about moment by moment connectedness that we have available to us through the indwelling Holy Spirit who wants to show us constantly who we are, who he is, who people are around us and what he's doing. Um, That's constant communion. So I don't know what that practically looks like for every single one of you in this room, it's gonna look actually really different. If I say, different, if I say intimacy with God, you're gonna, it's gonna be different things that you do, whether it's methods or, or, or actions that you take or things. It's gonna be different for everybody, but I do know the result. And that is unmistakable that you are more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil, there's that veil, The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, we contemplate, which means we see and we reflect. Okay? I want to be people who see and reflect. So we see and we reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus came. As Hebrews said, he was the veil. His, veil. his body was torn. That veil was torn. It's been removed. Shame, sin, all of that has been removed from your life. So when you stand before God now, you stand before him face to face and you can see him and you can reflect his glory. What happens as a result of seeing him and reflecting his glory? You are transformed into more and more of the image of Christ. So we can talk all day about intimacy. We can, talk about all, we can talk all day about how much we pray, how much we fast, how much we read the Bible, whatever it might be. Those can become religious behaviors if the result of our time with God is not that we are allowing his glory and his power to be seen, that we would be people who see it and then reflect it, that our life of intimacy is borne out by the degree that we look and act and mature into the fullness of who Christ is and who we're called to be in Christ. So this is the invitation then, is not to segment your life and say, he only wants intimacy in the areas where I've got it all together. Here's what I want you to know. He wants to be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He wants to be with you in the lowest of lows. He wants to be with you in the high things that you go through. He wants to be with you. Even highs and lows, great. But you know what else? This is where a lot of us struggle. He wants to be with you in the mundane. He wants to be with you on the Tuesdays. Because that's what intimacy is. And we can all call out to God in the highs. We can all call out to God in the lows. But what about people who walk with an unbroken face-to-face, his glory being reflected in me that's transforming me every day, every moment of every day? Not just when we really need it, not just when we're going through really hard times, but every day. I want you to hear this. You don't have to get yourself all fixed up and prettied up for God to want intimacy with you. That's a lie that wants to put you back into a place of performance that says, get your stuff together and then God will have time for you. That's the lie. This is what you are. Sons and daughters who have unlimited access to the Father that can just go, I can go to my Father to receive grace and mercy whenever I need. So the lie of performance, clean yourself up and then let's talk about intimacy with God. No, let's talk about intimacy with God and watch what happens as you sit with him. Watch what happens as your life is transformed. Too many of us are doing 
We're not sitting with God. We're not putting a posturing our life. And I'm not talking about sitting for 20 hours a day. I'm saying you can be very busy and doing a ton of things and still be posturing your life in the presence of your Father. And as we do that, we begin to be transformed and we are transformed and we begin to see the things that he's doing and do the things that he's doing. Uh, so our goal during this series of in, on intimacy isn't to define how God shows up or dictate how he moves in your life or speaks to your heart or leads you into obe- obedience. It is simply to challenge you to draw near to him. It is to challenge you to walk in the fullness of who he's called you to be. You're invited into that intimacy. You're invited into that sacred romance. He is jealous over you. He wants to meet every single one of your needs. And not that that means that you don't have any needs or it's not spiritual if you do have needs. I just want to explain it like this. Any need that I have that's not first met in Christ will never be able to be met in any other way. And if I have needs that aren't being met in Christ and I desire for Kate to meet them, guess what? She doesn't have enough to ever meet those needs. First, let our needs be met in him. That's where intimacy shows up. Is that he's meeting our deepest, deepest needs, our fears and our desires. So... um, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. So here's what I want to do. I just want to ask you this question. Is Exodus 33 is a passage that some of you have heard taught on. Um, Bill Johnson uses this when he talks about intimacy, and it's a, he does a great job with it, talking about Joshua. I want to read this to you. Um, Exodus 33. Now Moses you, uh, used to take a tent, and this is talking about Moses as he's led the people out of Egypt, and, 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 and they are renewing their relationship with God. It's not going so well. Uh, God asked them to be his people face to face. And they were like, no, we want to send a representative. Just go get the rules, bring the rules back. We'll follow the rules. It'll be fine. This is what God's pursuit of relationship has been with his people. I want to be your God. And then later on down the line, I want to be your king. What did they say? They're like, no, we don't, we don't want you to be our king. We want, a, we want a king. And they keep doing this thing where God is saying, I want to show up in relationship with you. And they keep building up barriers and going, ah, we don't want that. So Moses is in this place where he is connected to God for a people. And as he's connected to God for a people, he realizes the the immediate need of him and his heart being one-on-one with God and to be able to represent God to his people. Now, Moses used to take a tent and he would put it up outside the camp some distance away and he would call it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went in, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance and they all stood um, Sorry, while the Lord spoke to Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance, they all stood and worshiped. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. This is before Jesus. I want you to hear that. That is God's desires. Even in the old covenant, this has always been his desire. We're the ones that got it confused. His desire has always been, I want to walk with you in the garden. I want to be face to face with you. And in Moses, he found someone who understood this and would meet, to him, meet with him. And he said, they, God talked to Moses like a friend, face to face. Doesn't that sound amazing? Don't you wish that you had that kind of invitation? Oh, wait. We do. That we are called friends in Christ, that we are invited into that. Oh, this is what he's asking us to And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. 
And what people love to point out in this passage of scripture is how amazing it is that Joshua would stay in the tent. And, and I agree with that. I think that's incredible that, that Joshua stayed in the tent. But I think the thing that marked his life, honestly, was that he didn't run. He wasn't what, it wasn't where he stayed. It was what he wasn't running after. And I know that's like a double negative. But listen, 2019, what is it that you're going to run after? Joshua had this opportunity. He was, he was being groomed by Moses, and he had this opportunity to go, oh, the person that, I'm, that is leading me is now moving out of the tent. I need to run and keep up with them. I need that person to see me. Or Moses has a download of a message for the people. I want to be standing right next to Moses when he gives this message that God has given him, because then people will see me with Moses, and they will assume that I'm really cool, which will then affirm the reason why I'm going to be the future leader. But it was the fact that he didn't run after any of those things, and he was more than happy to just stay in the presence of God and hang out and go, the presence of God is enough. I don't need people's affirmation. I don't need position. I don't need that platform. I don't need, what is it? What is it for us? What is it for you? It's going to be different for every one of us. I don't know if it's a promotion that you're running after. I don't know if it's the attention of a person that you need more than anything right now. I don't know if it's that, that, that money that you need to show up in the bank. Otherwise, you're going to be gripped in fear. What is it that you need that you are running after in 2019? 2019 is going to be defined by where you stay and what you run after. And if we're people who are willing to say, we want our pursuit, the only thing I want to be pursuing is the presence of God. And I'm not going to run after someone affirming me. I'm not going to run after somebody patting me on the head. I'm not going to run after the popularity of everybody. I'm not going to do that. Then I'm going to have my needs met by God, a God who calls me friend, a God who invites me into his presence whenever I need, and a God who wants to be face to face with me. You're going to run after? You're going to pursue? You're going to be busy yourself? You still need that stuff? You still need that person? You still need that thing? Whatever it is, no. We need to be people of his presence. Let the year that we are walking into be defined by us saying we want to be presence-driven. Sorry, whatever his face is. Purpose-driven book guy. It's an awesome book. Rick Warren? Yeah, awesome book. I want to be, I don't want to be purpose-driven, honestly. I want to be presence-driven. I want us to find everything that we need in his presence and allow that reality to fuel us for the things that God is calling us to do. And the cool thing about this, as you guys know, is that Joshua demonstrated something that God recognized his heart and God led him into the, to be the leader that took them into the promised land. And so if we can say this, people who pursue his presence possess his promise. That is his promise. His presence is his promise. It is Jesus that we are pursuing. It is Jesus that we get. There is no greater treasure. There is no greater reward. It is the gift of getting to be with Jesus that we are treasuring and cherishing. That is what we're, cho what we're choosing to run after. So, um, all right. And two things. Ready for this? How do I do that, Ryan? What does that look like? I am all done, but there are two things that I want to say to you. One is this, how? Be intentional. Be intentional. 
That says, scripture says the Holy Spirit will lead us all into all truth. I want you guys to choose this year to be intentional about making room in your lives for the presence of God. That you would be intentional about making any shifts that need to be taking place. That you would be intentional about positioning your life and posturing your life in a way that you're able to walk in that place of the fullness of God, allowing his presence to transform you. And the other thing that I want you to be is invitational. Last thing. Invitational means Jesus gets access to every area of your life. Invite him into every area of your life. Don't buy the lie that there are places where, I don't know if he would really be into that or this or that. He wants to be with you in all the stuff that you're doing. Now, if you're invitational and there is stuff where you're like, I know that Jesus doesn't want to be a part of this. I, I guarantee that Jesus does not want to be a part of this. Is, this is not the tent of meeting. And then, then this is important. Refine your invitation. Live your life in a place where there's nowhere in your life that you cannot invite his presence to be made manifest in that area of your life. It's super simple. You wanna be a presence-driven person, then don't go places where you're not comfortable inviting Jesus in his intimacy to reveal himself. Okay, I love you guys. You're awesome. Let's do this.